And I'm Libby Collins. Wait a minute, Adam. Grumpy Bucks? That was Coach Bud's words. His words, <laughs> not mine. The Grumpy Bucks. We were grumpy last night. We didn't like Jokic. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's that's a hoot. Well, I think a lot of people were grumpy yesterday because of all that snow, and it's the end of March, and joining us is TMJ4's meteorologist, Brendan Johnson. And what the heck was that, Brendan? <laughs> I'm looking uh, for tulips and daffodils, and there's nine inches of snow out there. Yeah, 8.9 was the uh, report out at Mitchell. Uh, It was a doozy for us in uh, southeastern Wisconsin. But hey, not as bad as uh, up in Green Bay. Uh, Fox Valley really took the brunt of this uh, with uh, several reports over a foot of that heavy, wet snow. Oh, my gosh. How unusual is that for this time of year? You know, it is not unusual for us to get snow, but for something like this, it was pretty unusual, and one of the things that I think most will agree is um, how much change there was in this forecast uh, within just a, under 24 hours. So we were anticipating that band to really head towards Milwaukee in southeastern Wisconsin, but just as it got started, uh, area low pressure just kind of jogged to the north and west. So I was getting on the air yesterday morning, and... Boy, the forecast from the last evening was not going to pan out, and uh, that snow wound up going a lot more to the north and west, and uh, a little bit, about 30 or 40 miles north than what we were expecting. So yeah, the Fox Valley really took away um, you know, a lot of that snow. I had a 20-inch viewer or report heard out of Green Bay, uh, the weather office there at Menasha. Oh, I mean, 20 inches in at the end of March. That's the unbelievable yes. thing. Now, I think what a lot of people are really wondering, is this over? Are we done now? <laughs> so I'm going to tell you right now, there is still a chance to see snow, not just through April, but we have seen it as late as May in Wisconsin. Um, I will tell you, though, that uh, there is another chance for a few snow flurries here this afternoon. I could see a trace to maybe two inches. But the good news is, got a higher sun angle, so that means any snow that does fall, it melts off pretty quickly. And most of our high temperatures here going forward are usually above freezing. So uh, any snow that does fall, it is not long-lived. Well, Brendan, we're going to hold you to that. Uh <laughs> Glad you glad you were able to wave most of that north of us yesterday. So, yeah. but but we there probably will be a little bit more trace today. Yeah, mainly for uh, areas south of I-94, we're going to see uh, maybe a little bit of a snow, a little bit of some rain mixing in here initially later this morning, I'd say more early afternoon. And then I'm watching some of the models paint another batch later this evening that kind of rolls in with this little system that could give us maybe a trace to as much as two inches of snow. Again, grassy surfaces. Yes, temperatures overnight will be below freezing, could have a slick spot or two first thing tomorrow. But by the afternoon, that all is melting as is all the heavy wet stuff that fell yesterday too i just want to see spring for real brandon <laughs> johnson from 2j4 thanks for joining us this morning thank you take care it's 8 11 we've got a busy show ahead on wisconsin weekend morning news we're going to hear from vince vetrano he's got a story about uh preps for opening day at amfam also mark cass is going to talk about the business outlook for the brewers john McCure is going to observe women's history month matt miller's here with some films you're not going to want to miss and uh hey are those kids who are home from 
from school for spring break? Are they complaining they don't have a job for summer? Well, we're going to tell you about an opening for them. We're also going to take a look back at the week in review. Adam Roberts is here in the newsroom. Isaac's pushing those buttons. And in just two minutes, it's Dominic Catronio and sports. And right now we have 28 degrees at WTMJ. It's 812. The NCAA men's tournament rolls on in college basketball. And this year's slipper fits the owls of Florida Atlantic. Here comes Noel up the near side, left front court. Three seconds, now two. Noel throws a Masood. High right. It's stripped away by Davis. He stole it. Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is going to the Final Four. One of the most improbable stories in college basketball history has just played out in New York City. Houston, you have a problem. Florida Atlantic is coming to town looking for a trophy. Ken Levicka on the call on ESPN 106.3 West Palm as Florida Atlantic is a nine seed in the Final Four. The Owls were the first nine seed to make it to the Final Four since 2013. The other game was not nearly as entertaining as the Yukon Huskies absolutely dominate the Gonzaga Bulldogs 82-54. Dan Hurley takes the Huskies to the Final Four for the first time under his regime. Two more games in college basketball today for the last two spots in the Final Four. It'll be number six Creighton and number five San Diego State at 120 on CBS. And then later it'll be at four o'clock with number five Miami and number two Texas. To the NBA, a tale of two halves for the Bucks. They were leading by 13 at the break against the Nuggets in Denver, but only managed 40 points for the entire second half in fall, 129 to 106. Head coach Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it was, you know, an eight-point game and felt like we had a couple of, that didn't go in. And I think Jeff Green hit one, you know, a corner three that, you know, maybe made it 11 or there was just a little, you know, like you said, a two-minute window where if we can go on a 5-0 run, again, it felt like, if I remember right, decent looks and, and ours don't go in. And then for sure, you know, Jeff, I think, makes a big corner three. And it just didn't happen for us in the second half tonight. Bucks are back in action tomorrow visiting the Detroit Pistons. I'm Dominic Catronio, WTMJ Sports. Thanks a lot, Dom. It is 816, 29 degrees. Coming up in just two minutes, it's Mark Cass from the Milwaukee Business Journal. What are some of the best places to live in Wisconsin? We'll find out right after this here on WTMJ. Libby Collins and Wisconsin Weekend Morning News. As TMJ4's Brendan Johnson just told us, we've got a lot of uh, sun today, although later on this afternoon, get a little chance for that wintry mix. Um, but overall, because we're going to get up to 39 degrees today, we're going to see some of that snow start to melt. We have 29 degrees at 819 on WTMJ, and that means it's time to check in with Mark Cass, Editor-in-Chief of the Milwaukee Business Journal. Well, Mark, last week, the Milwaukee Business Journal broke the story about a new buyer for the former Northridge Mall, but you've got a lot more information about what's planned for that site. Can you tell us what some of those plans are? Yeah, this is one to be real interesting to watch. You know, it's been 20 years, Libby, since there was actual activity on that site. Think about that. It's crazy. And now in about 60 days, you're going to have a new owner of the mall. Hopefully things will really close up here. And what they're looking at is light industrial, probably looking at some warehousing, some smaller office use. We've heard from some of the 
the owners in the area, some of the residents in the area, they'd like to see some small retail out there. Obviously, not another mall, but you know, small retail stuff. So you're going to see a redevelopment of the site. You can see a lot of jobs come to the site. You're going to see activity come to the site. From what we're hearing, they're not going to rip down the whole mall. They may rip down sections of it and obviously redevelop that with new construction. The thing again will be just activity on the site, and we won't be looking at this land that's just blighted. You know, this is one of the largest tracts of land in the region for this type of thing. So very important. It's sat open, as I said, for 20 years. The city has seen it as an eyesore. We've had a lot of issues with it. And to have a developer who has a track record involved here, as compared to the owner before, is something that's really something strong for the community. And I think it's going to result in something very nice out there, which is not what we expected to happen a couple of weeks ago. So this is something that's really good for the area. Well, I'm sure that the people who live around there are really oh excited yeah, about, about any development. Think about that. 20 years of nothing. After 20 years of a mall being there and activity, and you had restaurants and theaters and shops, and then you went to this nothing, and now you've had the fires, and you've had the other issues going on there. It's become a hazard, right? So to see this finally come together, I think people are just happy that it's going to hopefully move to a much nicer state here and see something that's good happening on the site. Including the mayor and the Milwaukee Common Council. Yes. And by the way... Oh, no doubt about that. <laughs> They approved that $30 million incentive package for Northwestern Mutual's $500 million project. That's going to bring 2,000 employees yeah. to the downtown. Do you know what the timing is and what will this mean long term? This is great news. And in terms of when it's going to happen, obviously you'll see them start construction or start reconstruction of the building next to them very soon over the next few months. I think you'll see some of the employees will start moved down over the next 12 to 18 months. As I've been saying all along, this is great news for Milwaukee, not so great news for Franklin. We'll see what happens for that in terms of the redevelopment of the site. But if you're talking about just the heart of the city, to have those employees come downtown, all of them are going to need a place to park. They're going to shop. They're going to eat in the area. They're going to spend time in the area. One of the things we've been talking about the last few months is getting more energy and activity into the heart of the city because we haven't seen as much since 2019. Having these employees down here is really going to help. It's going to help the eastern half of the downtown where it's been a little quiet lately. We haven't seen as many restaurants open for lunch. I think that's going to change. I think you may see some new restaurants open. You may see some new retailers open. That's a lot of employees Libby, working there who are going to need these services. So this is great news for the city. Well, is there any word about what's going to happen to that site in Franklin? Yeah, no, not yet. I think the plan is to put it on the market, hopefully to either lease it or sell it to have a firm that would come in either one firm, two firms, or maybe six firms, because it's a lot of space. It's 800,000 square feet of space with a lot of open land. You know, I think they're going to look to Northern Illinois. They're going to look to other areas of the country. Is there a way to draw in somebody to redevelop that site or to use what's there already? It's owned by NML, so I mean, NML will be doing that, and it's important to them, but it'll be curious to see how long that takes and where that company comes from. Hopefully, we can steal some more from Northern Illinois. Right. I mean, it's been nice to see those jobs move up into the Kenosha area. Maybe they can move them up to Franklin. Well, there's one thing in Illinois we don't want, and that's for the Cubs to do well. And baseball oh, season's we don't want them to move here. To, we don't want them to move to Franklin, do we? No, we don't want the Cubs anywhere around Milwaukee. We'll keep them in Chicago. Well, baseball season's here, Mark, and the Milwaukee Brewers are going to be opening in Chicago on Thursday against the Cubs. What is the business outlook for the team this year? Yeah, you know, I think there's some uncertainty here because the Brewers didn't make the playoffs last year. And they were, you know, kind of the hangover yet from COVID in terms of group sales. So they were off last year. And I've been saying this forever. Winning draws fans, right? We love winners in Milwaukee. We're going to support. You know, we always over-support in Milwaukee when you compare our market against other markets of the major leagues. So the Brewers draw very well here. They were off a bit last year. I think that was part of winning. And, you know, when you win, that leads excitement into the next year. And it's always hard in April and May, kind of the start of the season. It's colder. The school 
school still going on. But the most important thing for them is to win early because I think if they win early, April and May, and they get some excitement that's going for the team, I think you'll see fans turn out. In terms of sponsorships, the Brewers are very active in that area. They, I mean, they've done well. They are really, I think, on track there. They added the ex-golf thing last year, which has been very successful. They changed the restaurant, getting Lightning Kugels involved. I think you're going to see a lot of excitement there. I think people are just going to be happy to be out there again, right? I mean, I've had enough of this snow and cold in March. I'm ready to go to a game and, you know, hopefully have a brat and a beer and sit in the sun. That would be really nice. Hopefully that'll be in April or May, probably June, right? <laughs> June for the weather, but I think there's some excitement for the Brewers this year. Let's see how things go in April and May. We're sure looking forward to it. I had a conversation the other day with somebody who lives in northern Illinois, and they said to me, I had no idea how much easier it is to fly out of Mitchell than yeah. to go down to O'Hare. And You shouldn't tell I them that. I... We don't want people from, from Northern no. Illinois coming to our airport and making it crowded, right? They we told me, but that's yeah. why there's been a 10% increase in traffic yeah. from last year to this past January, are we back at pre-pandemic flying levels? Yeah, no, not yet. We are working our way back. You're seeing a lot more use of the airport. The thing that happened, Libby, is kind of 2020 and 2021, you saw the airlines really slash the number of flights because of COVID and then not having enough staff. Well, they've been slowly adding flights back, but we're not yet at the level of flights we had pre-COVID. But I think we're seeing a lot of travelers who are going on vacation. We're seeing some of the corporate travel return, not all of it. I think the one thing we learned through COVID is that you can do a Zoom meeting, you can do a phone call, maybe not travel to all those conferences. So I think there are less travelers out there. It is going the right way. I think our airport has seen really nice response. But again, I don't want to let all the people in Northern Illinois know about it because I like to be able to just kind of drive up late and just kind of walk onto my plane. It's always nice in Milwaukee. So let's keep those Illinois people in there, don't you think? Well, and don't tell them about this annual report in Niche that talks about the best places to live in Wisconsin. Any Milwaukee area communities make the list? Oh, yeah. Not number one this year. We've had number ones in here with both Whitefish Bay and Heartland and other areas. This year, number one was Kohler, which is not too far from here. You know, we have seen success in that. I think Wauwatosa, Elm Grove, Fox Point, a lot of good communities in the Milwaukee area. The thing I like about Milwaukee is kind of nice is there are a lot of choices. I mean, if you look at the rankings, you had Whitefish Bay, you had Sherwood, you had Brookfield, a lot of communities to live that are right outside of the city, right? So a lot of options. If you want to live more rural, you can live out in Waukesha County, live up in Washington County, a lot of options, but real quick to the city, only like 20 minutes to get city for us. We don't have traffic. So I think this is always a real interesting list to see where everybody ranks, what the places to be, but from Elm Grove to River Hills to Glendale, there's a lot of pretty cool places to live. As everyone knows, I live right in the heart of the city. I love it, but I lived in Franklin for 20 years and I like living out there. I like having options and I think you have that here and not worrying about traffic, which is very nice. I agree with you. Well, Mark Cass, always great to have you here. Soon you and I will be out at the stadium, right? We'll be having a broad and drinking a beer. I want to try those new Vienna hot dogs out there. Oops, wait, is that a Chicago thing? Maybe I shouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Go with the broad. It's always safer, Libby. (laughs) Take care. Have a good week. Always good to talk to you, Libby. 29 degrees at 826 on WTMJ. It's 828. We're up to 29 degrees at WTMJ. Adam, i got to ask you about this. It's so disturbing when you hear that children are the victims of violence. And you said that this weekend we've had two little kids who have been shot that's right libby so we're uh right now we're looking at an incident involving a two-year-old that was at four o'clock this morning near 26th and locust and then friday evening a five-year-old near 10th and capital now in that incident it was a situation where police say the five-year-old was shot while inside the home and of course we've had stories like this before 
child wanders around the home and you don't want to speculate, but it kind of sounds like maybe the child got in to where the gun was, had access to it when he shouldn't have. In this situation we're following now, there's a 40-year-old Milwaukee woman in custody. Uh, but yeah, two children in the span of about 48 hours shot in Milwaukee. I, I mean, I, I can't think of anything more tragic than an innocent child uh, being the victim of such violence, whether it was intended or not. So I know you're going to keep an eye on that. You'll have more details, but uh, let's find out what else is going on in the WTMJ Breaking News Center with Adam Roberts. And welcome back. I'm Libby Collins on Wisconsin Weekend Morning News. A little bit later on, we've got Matt Miller. He's got some... Uh, some things to say about the new John Wick movie. That's all ahead right here on WTMJ at 8.35. It's been quite a week, and WTMJ Cares took that plunge. Action was taken against reckless driving in Madison. A Muskego man makes a whale of a rescue and more. It's the Week in Review, also known as Adam Roberts' baby. Brought to you by Outdoor Living Unlimited. What we do here is go back, 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 back. <laughs> WTMJ Cares Initiative in support of Special Olympics Wisconsin culminates in this morning's polar plunge into Lake Michigan. I'm here to support a program that is near and dear to my heart and I believe in so strongly. Which of you spent more time in the water yesterday? Eric. I was in the pool! Painful and it's so disrespectful. That reaction coming after Express News published a comic depicting a trans person as being demented. Express News prints the Germantown paper and many others in the area, including Menominee Falls and West Bend. How many people let that cartoon go out? The final Michigan State over Marquette. 69-60. Great to see a guy who knows how to coach, take a team, they weren't supposed to do what they did, do what they did, be where they are, and they're going to be great for years. I just wanted to offer a milkshake. Thanks. Over a record seventh national championship for the Wisconsin Badgers. I still just keep saying, what just happened? Like, did we really just win? The firm that has agreed to purchase the former Northridge Mall on Milwaukee's northwest side said it wants to redevelop the site for industrial use, even save part of the building. Reusing the building, I would be shocked if they got away with that. People have torn this thing apart. Let's go to the Another time, perhaps. Entrepreneur and actress Gwyneth Paltrow taking a break from red carpets to appear in court. Paltrow is being sued, accused of injuring a man who claims she skied into him at a resort in 2016. He hits down, apparently his side and his head, and she is essentially falling on him. You french fry when you pizza, you're gonna have a bad time. We're following a developing story from south of the border. A man from Green Bay killed while visiting Chicago. A pair of bills under consideration in the legislature today aimed at tackling reckless driving. I'm looking forward to signing these bills. This bill sends a message to criminals that this behavior will no longer be tolerated. 8% and a step. The spokesperson for the district says pay raises in line with the cost of living increase as well as increase for years of service would cost the district more than $14 million. 23-year-old man is dead after a police chase resulted in a crash into the Oak Creek in South Milwaukee. The city of Milwaukee is now prepping for a lawsuit against Kia and Hyundai after the Common Council authorized it earlier this week. Less than two weeks before what some people call the most important election in their lifetime, a phrase that we've heard 
heard, frankly, in my opinion, too often. This is the most important election, in my opinion, of history. A man raped a 15-year-old, came to you for sentencing. You said no prison time at all because COVID. There is no way I would have said in any case, you're not going to prison COVID. That's an outright lie. Guys, now he might win. A Muskego man is being hailed as a hero after coming to the rescue of four sailors stranded in a life raft after their boat was struck by a whale and sank in Polynesia. You saved me. Think about 60 miles, 65 miles away when we realized that we were the closest boat. What a week, huh? What a week, eh? What a week. Shut it down! Let's go And the Week in Review is sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited. Who is Daisy? Why is John Wick upset about her? Well, Matt Miller is going to tell us. Uh, coming up at about 8.51 this morning. But before we do anything else, we're going to hear about some jobs for your teens who are home for the summer. It's all ahead of Wisconsin Weekend Morning News. 30 degrees at 8.39 on WTMJ. get some sun this morning hopefully melting off just a little bit of that snow but then those clouds are going to come back with a chance for a wintry mix there might be anywhere from trace to two inches that's going to be mainly on grassy surfaces not too much to worry about our high today will be 39 degrees and tonight cloudy down to 30 tomorrow going to see some sun with a high of 37. Tuesday, the clouds come back with a high of 42. On Wednesday, oh no, not another chance for light snow showers with a high of 38. And then Thursday, looks like we have some rain under mostly cloudy skies and a high of 47. Right now, Delafield is 28. Brookfield's at 29. Richfield's at 28. And we have 30 degrees at WTMJ at 842. Well, as your high school students and your college students are on spring break and they're saying, I need a job for the summer, ah, we have a solution. Joining us is Jen Shea from the Milwaukee County Zoo. And you have an opportunity for everybody 16 and older to get a job this summer. We do. So March 29th, kids can come out to the Zufari Center, which is just east of the zoo, for walk-in interviews for seasonal positions. So these are positions in the areas of like our visitor services area, our concessions, merchandise, grounds, all fun positions in that you might be working outside. And like you say, you have to be 16 or older. A lot of kids that start with us in high school, they go on to be with us throughout college and even after college if they're still looking for a job. So kind of keep that in mind that it's a really nice job to come back to if, you know, kids are liking it, which they usually do once they start with us. I imagine these are hourly positions. Can you give us an idea of that starting range for pay? Actually, they're going to have to meet with their hiring managers because I can't really divulge that on the air. But there's a range. So based on experience, you're going to get to that higher rate. And I know that Milwaukee County has done everything they can to kind of bump up some of these hourly rates to make it worthwhile for the kids. And they need to earn, you know, money for college or for whatever it is. So they really try to make it worthwhile for the kids. And what do you recommend? Because a lot of young people, this could be the first job they're applying for. Should they bring anything with them? And what should their attitude be when they come? Yeah, I mean, there's no need at this point to bring anything with them that would come, you know, if they would be offered a job, then they'll learn the process. But I mean, I think we're just kind of looking for smiling faces, engaging people. Um, You know, the zoo is such a fun place. And I've seen so many kids come through there that, like I say, they work for us for eight, 10 years, even longer. And they really become a family with some of these other kids. So you might make some lifelong friendships and, you know, just to be, I guess, happy and engaging and willing to help 
people, I think, you know, that's really some things to keep in mind. Uh, Jen, I wish I were 16 again, but anybody else out there, particularly high school and college students looking for some summer employment, let's give them the date and the places to come again. Yes, March 29th, and you can see all of this on our website, milwaukeezoo.org, and you can also reserve a time slot through our website, and it's from 10 to 6. Well, thanks for putting together this walk-in interviews. You might have to wait a little longer, but you can't just walk in. Jen, always great to hear from you. Jen Shea from the Milwaukee County Zoo. Thank you. Who's on the final four? Dominic Catronio tells you on sports in just one minute. It is 844, and we have 30 degrees at WTMJ. Two darlings of the tournament matchup for what has been one of the best games of March Madness. Third-seeded Kansas State, ninth-seeded Florida Atlantic. A trip to the Final Four on the line. It did not disappoint. Kansas State doesn't have any timeouts. The inbound from Sills. Here comes Noel up the near side, left front court. Three seconds, now two. Noel throws in Masood. High right. It's stripped away by Davis. He stole it. Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is going to the Final Four. One of the most improbable stories in college basketball history has just played out in New York City. The final call from Ken Levicka on ESPN 106.3 West Palm. The Owls defeat the Wildcats 79-76. to They were the first nine seed to make it to the Final Four since 2013. That was Wichita State. Now, the other game on Saturday was not nearly as entertaining. Fourth-seeded UConn dominated Gonzaga 82-54. The Husky defense held the Zags to just 2 of 20 from beyond the arc, as UConn heads to the Final Four for the first time in nine years. Here's what you got on your docket today. Number six, Creighton, and number five, San Diego State. That game will tip off at 120. And number five, Miami, and number two, Texas. That game tips at 405. Both games on CBS. Battle of the one seeds in Denver last night. The Bucks and Giannis, the Nuggets and Jokic, but it was Jokic getting the final laugh. A 129-106 win over Milwaukee. Head coach Mike Budenholzer. I'm not, you know, we, we got beat tonight. You know, they were better than us, and we would love some other things to go differently, but it's not about that. Credit to Denver. We got to take it, and, you know, we'll be ready next time we play. And spring training is winding down. This is it. Camp breaks on Tuesday. Today, the Brewers are hosting the Arizona Diamondbacks at 3 o'clock right here on WTMJ. I'm Dominic Catronio, WTMJ Sports. They sure are celebrating at our sister station in West Palm Beach with that FAU win. It's 848. We've got your forecast. It's 31 degrees right now, but we'll tell you the whole day what to look forward to. And also, joining us in just a couple minutes, it's going to be Matt Miller. What's the new John Wick movie about? Hmm, maybe it has something to do with Daisy. It's all ahead on Wisconsin Weekend Morning News. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. Well, after all that snow the last day and a half, it's good to know we're going to get a little bit of sunshine this morning. A little bit of melt-off, too. That's good to know. But we've got some clouds coming in, and there'll be a chance for a wintry mix as the day goes on. Uh, anywhere from a trace to two inches, uh, mainly on those grassy surfaces. We're going to get up to 39 degrees today. Tomorrow looks like it's 37, and by Thursday, we'll be back up to 47 degrees. Elkhart Lake right now has 30 degrees, Lake Geneva 29. 
29. It's 30 in Muskego. We have 31 degrees at WTMJ at 851. Oh, dogs. I don't know. Normally that song makes me feel happy, but then I think of Daisy. Well, it's time for Media Critic and Pop Culture Editor at OnMilwaukee.com. Matt Miller, and I know you have a very soft speed, soft spot for Beagles, Matt. I, I do love a good popo. Mm, how about John Wick, though? Because there's that dog thing going on with all of his movies. Well, only the first one. Only the first one, dogs are at risk. And then in the rest of them, dogs become his best friends and some of his best weapons. So, (laughs) but yeah, and they've all been good movies, and that includes the new one out, John Wick Chapter 4, the longest and potentially the last of the John Wick movies. And I I really liked it. It's very long. It is almost three hours long, which seems bordering on ridiculous, and it is a little bit when you're watching the movie. But when the movie gets down to, you know, the action scenes and gets down to why we're there, it is some of the best action sequences you'll see this entire year. Really? Why is it that it is such a, that John Wick is such a likable character, even though he's kind of a, he's kind of a, he's kind of a hard guy to, to say, well, he does a lot of killing. Let's put it that way. He's an anti-hero. It it helps that the first movie sets up that, you know, he is killing people because they killed his adorable dog. I mean, that is the most relatable. That is immediate. Everyone is going to be on his side. Um, And I think that has basically carried through through four movies now, essentially. It helps that he's also played by Keanu Reeves, who is a very likable actor, who is uh, very... uh, you know, people won't say he's the best actor of all time, but he's very good at playing this type of character, this kind of blank slate. Um, and and also, honestly, I, I think the character of John Wick has kind of been forgotten over these movies. It's mainly just action franchise right now. It's mainly it's kind of like how Mission Impossible, the main character in the Mission Impossible movies, is basically just Tom Cruise at this point. Mm-hmm. The main character in John Wick is. Keanu Reeves and the action and the action in John Wick is the best action you're going to find out there in this era of, you know, kind of CGI taking over a bunch of action or like quick cuts taking over the action. John Wick is a franchise for action lovers by action lovers. You mentioned Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible movies. Who's easier to like in these roles, him or Keanu Reeves as John Wick? Definitely Keanu Reeves. You don't have the the weird Scientology cloud hanging over <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah, there's another kind of cloud, I think, uh, hovering around uh, Keanu Reeves. All right. Now, you've got, uh, this is kind of, is this breaking news? Apple in theaters? What's going on with that one? Yeah, so Apple announced late last week that they're going to put about a billion dollars into movies they're going to put into theaters. And this is coming off the heels of Amazon making a similar announcement saying that they're going to put about a dozen movies in theaters each year. And it's coming off kind of this realization of the the kind of streaming bubble popping. I I think over the past year, all these studios have started to realize that it's really hard to make money off off of streaming services. And it is getting rid of their former ways of actually making money, which is physical DVDs and theatrical revenue. 
So I'm interested that, you know, these studios, the Apple and Amazon, the ones that are really more online-based, are really starting to realize that, you know, listen, like, streaming is not how we're making money. We make money off of theaters, and then that stuff shows up on streaming, and people will have heard of it because it was in theaters. I I think, you know, the Netflix approach works for Netflix because it's Netflix. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, how many people know how much stuff gets released on Netflix each month? There's about 60 new TV shows and movies released on Netflix every month. And I think most people could maybe only name one, you know, per month that's come out. And they have to spend money on that content. They have to spend money on making that. And at some point, you have to start making a profit on that stuff. You know, you mentioned some of the Netflix uh things that have been released. I, I watched, my husband and I, we watched the Alec Murdoch um, three-part the thing on Murda Netflix. Murders. Yeah, yeah. That, I was surprised how much more information was on that versus what we've been hearing, you know, throughout the trial and everything. And in terms of news, it's kind of triggered this opening of this investigation of the Stephen Smith. Yeah, and it's funny because that Netflix docu-series is kind of late to the game. Uh, that, that There's been several other murder mysteries. I know there's been a, a podcast about it. Uh, I know there were a few other murder-related docu-series. And Netflix kind of got on that late, which is, you know, it, it's classic Netflix in terms of the fact that, you know, that's the one that got famous is the Murder Murders uh, miniseries on Netflix. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, stuff like that, that's pretty cheap for Netflix. You know, a, a docu-series like that, that's pretty cheap. The problem is stuff like Knives Out that costs, you know, about $400 million, $500 million for two movies. Well, if you're not putting that in theaters, are you getting that money back? Are you working at a deficit? And that's their big problem right now is people forget Netflix doesn't make a profit. Netflix is not a profitable company. They have been working in the red pretty much its entire existence um, because they've just been dumping money and assuming they're going to grow forever. And unfortunately they're finding out that, yeah, subscriber numbers plateau at some point and that's what we've reached. Yeah. That's what they get for giving all that money to Prince Harry and his wife. All right. Listen, Matt, it's always great to hear from you, Matt. And, of course, Matt Miller, he is the media critic and pop culture editor at OnMilwaukee.com. Check out his columns. They're always really interesting. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's 857 on WTMJ. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Wisconsin Weekend Morning News, the Sunday morning edition. A little bit, I'm Libby Collins. A little bit later on this hour, we're going to hear from John McCure about Women's History Month. Vince Vetrano has a story about getting AmFam Field ready for opening day. And also uh, Dave Spano with something about uh, Frankie Valley from the Four Seasons. It's 9.07 on WTMJ. The following program, Commercial Real Estate Show, is paid for in full by Commercial Association of Realtors, Wisconsin. The advice and opinions expressed during the Commercial Real Estate Show are solely that of the hosts and guests of Commercial Real Estate Show, and not WTMJ or Good Karma Brands. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Tracy Johnson, on WTMJ. This show features experts who share quick insights and information on some of the commercial real estate trends and opportunities right here in Wisconsin. Today, we're going to discuss industrial real estate in southeast Wisconsin. 
Industrial real estate is an asset class is critical for the global economy and refers to facilities used for manufacturing, production, research and development, storage and distribution. Often these assets are well located and are income generating assets. We're here today with Mike Kleber, Director of Leasing with Zilber Property Group, an owner and developer of industrial real estate in Wisconsin. Mike also happens to be the chairman for the statewide Commercial Association of Realtors, Wisconsin. Mike, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's dive right in. Uh, Can you give us an overview of industrial real estate here in Wisconsin? What is the size and scope of the market? And why do you think it's important to our listeners? Yeah, I think best for your listeners to understand my uh, the context of my comments today will be based around, call it Metro Milwaukee or the seven-county region. Um, to give further context to that, we're about 235 million square feet in that region. Uh, on the other flip side of it, you're looking at Chicago at about 1.4 billion square feet. So sizable difference, but gives a little bit more understanding of uh, the Metro Milwaukee market. Um, things in industrial real estate right now are going very well. Um, there's a lot that's going uh, into that, um, but so far so good. We continue to push forward uh, with uh, projects as well as um, new development um, throughout the seven county area. So as you're developing, what what's really driving that development? I know as you go along I-94 on the way to Chicago, that billion square foot market, you see a lot of uh, buildings being constructed uh, along that corridor, Uline, Amazon, Haribo, what what's driving that? Yeah, it's it's fun to watch. Um, there's a longer story, uh, too long for this show, uh, about the history of, of that corridor. It really started probably about 30 years ago. Uh, smaller manufacturers were moving into the area from Illinois um, and making the border jump. Uh, since then, uh, you're starting to see large blocks of space. 250,000, half a million square foot buildings going up. Uh, I'd call it institutional developers working their way into that market. And what's driven that a lot, obviously, is uh, some of the issues going on uh, in the business climate in Illinois and people looking for cheaper opportunities, Um, but also the I-94 improvements that were made over the last, call it 10 years, have really allowed for businesses to transport product really throughout the upper Midwest from that location. So it it's, uh, has a cost advantage to Illinois, and it still can serve really the upper Midwest, uh, which are two things that uh, especially the distributors uh, are in search of. So access to infrastructure, obviously very important, and in the investment that Wisconsin has made in the roads and the expansion, the construction, the, the betterment and modernization, but also access to labor is a huge consideration. As you're working with clients, how do they look at Wisconsin in terms of being able to fill their buildings and being able to fill those jobs that will produce those products and help with those warehouse and distribution positions? It's a great question. Um so you really have two different uh, segments to industrial real estate. You have the manufacturers, and then you have the warehouse distribution e-commerce. Um, for the manufacturers, it's very important. It's vital uh, right now uh, to be close to the workforce and, and capable workforce. Wisconsin has that. Um, we have, a, I'd say, a strong blue-collar history, um, which has allowed for the skilled trades to continue to flourish in this area, which is a very attractive to both companies locally now or companies looking to relocate into the region. Uh, on the flip side, uh, groups looking uh, for warehousing and distribution space, third-party logistics groups, um, 
they're obviously predominantly focused on the infrastructure that's been in place through our, our numerous road construction projects that have happened over the last 10 years. Uh, marrying those two up, uh, we've done an excellent job, I think, as a region, which has allowed us to continue to flourish uh, in industrial real estate. So during the COVID-19 shutdowns, um, industrial real estate really became the kind of the darling asset class because of the focus on last mile distribution, access to the client base, uh, warehousing, onshoring. Can you talk a little bit more about how things have changed just in the last three or four years? Yeah, and COVID was obviously an unfortunate thing that we all uh, experienced, I'm sure, personally, um, throughout the country. Um, one of the, I guess, things to fall uh, into place from COVID was uh, reshaping the supply chain. Um, so pre-COVID, manufacturers may have had 30, 40 days worth of product or assembly pieces on, on hand. Um, when COVID hit and the supply chains from China shut down um, and you went from having the ability to get that uh, product or tool or whatever it be in your, your process in 30 days went to 180 days, um, it was a shock to the system for them. And they realized that they had to reinvent how they were handling their business, which meant they obviously needed more space to store the stuff onshore. Um, same thing went with uh, your distributors and warehousers. Um, they, again, were getting product from overseas when shipping lines shut down or borders shut down or even plants overseas shut down. They realized that they had to have on site, um, you know, maybe it's 90, 100, 120 days uh, worth of product in order to fulfill the needs of their customers. Um, this came at an interesting time because you had uh, high demand. Um, and with that high demand, you also had high construction costs. So it was a little bit of a, a an influx of costs that uh, made it, I'd say, fairly challenging. But we were able to come out of it with everyone having a new outlook on the supply chain and, and where development was heading. Well, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. But really, you know, what you you know explain not only the great availability and tax climate and business climate here in Wisconsin, but the willingness of these municipalities to uh, allow for this development, whether it's agricultural land being rezoned or reconsidered. Uh, I think very important uh, points that you mentioned. So when we come back, we'll talk about interest rates and construction costs because those are looming factors impacting all commercial real estate sectors and businesses for that matter. So we'll discuss with Mike Kleber, Director of Leasing for Zilber Property Group on the Wisconsin Commercial Real Estate Show right here on WTMJ. It's 914 and we're just a minute away from Dominic Catronio and Sports on WTMJ. Two darlings of the tournament matchup for what has been one of the best games of March Madness. Third seeded Kansas State, ninth seeded Florida Atlantic. A trip to the Final Four on the line. It did not disappoint. Kansas State doesn't have any timeouts. The inbound from Sills. Here comes Noel up the near side, left front court. Three seconds now, two. Noel throws him to shoot. High right. It's stepped away by Davis. He stole it. Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is going to the Final Four. One of the most improbable stories in college basketball history has just played out in New York City. The final call from Ken Levicka on ESPN 106.3 West Palm. The Owls defeat the Wildcats 79-76. They were the first nine seed to make it to the Final Four since 2013. That was Wichita State. Now, the other game on Saturday was not nearly as entertaining. 
Fourth seeded UConn dominated Gonzaga 82 to 54. The Husky defense held the Zags to just two of 20 from beyond the arc as UConn heads to the Final Four for the first time in nine years. Here's what you got on your docket today. Number six, Creighton, and number five, San Diego State. That game will tip off at 120. And number five, Miami, and number two, Texas. That game tips at 4.05. Both games on CBS. Battle of the one seeds in Denver last night. The Bucks and Giannis, the Nuggets and Jokic, but it was Jokic getting the final laugh, a 129-106 win over Milwaukee. Head coach Mike Budenholzer. I'm not, you know, we, we got beat tonight. You know, they were better than us, and we would love some other things to go differently, but it's not about that. Credit to Denver. We got to take it, and, you know, we'll be ready next time we play. And spring training is winding down. This is it. Camp breaks on Tuesday. Today, the Brewers are hosting the Arizona Diamondbacks at 3 o'clock right here on WTMJ. I'm Dominic Catronio, WTMJ Sports. Thanks a lot, Dominic. I'm Libby Collins. It's 919, 34 degrees on WTMJ. We'll have your forecast right after this. We're getting some sun this morning, helping to melt off some of that snow we've had in the last day or so. Although those clouds are going to be coming back, and we've got a chance for a wintry mix a little bit later on today. 39 degrees for a high. It is 34 at 922 on WTMJ. The following program, Commercial Real Estate Show, is paid for in full by Commercial Association of Realtors, Wisconsin. The advice and opinions expressed during the Commercial Real Estate Show were solely that of the hosts and guests of Commercial Real Estate Show and not WTMJ or Good Karma Brands. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Tracy Johnson here with Mike Kleber on WTMJ. Mike, interest rates, they continue to rise and the fear of recession is is looming. It keeps, we're, we're going to a recession, we're in a recession. That conversation continues. How do these economic factors impact industrial real estate? I can tell you it hasn't been pleasant. Um, but we're, we're working our way through it. Uh, fortunately, uh, activity's probably never been more uh, in the seven-county area. So that has allowed for us to continue to conduct business, build speculative buildings, and film uh, I'd say fairly fast. Um, obviously, it is affecting both us and every business, um, as well as our general contractor. Construction costs are, are up substantially, um, as, again, everything, I think, in the United States right now has seen some form of increase. Um, luckily for us, the activity continues to be strong, and rental rates have uh, climbed, which is allowing us to still uh, be feasible in, in construction and development of an uh, industrial building. So for right now, we're, we're working our way through it, and I think everyone's just uh, having the same experience. Um, but it sounds like the market as a whole, uh, from a manufacturing distribution uh, center of Milwaukee, is, is allowing, uh, or strong enough, I should say, uh, to continue at this pace. So obviously the, the rental rates are you know, either stable or increasing because there's a, a constraint on the demand. There's higher demand. But when it comes to construction costs, you're also thinking about availability of products. So if you can't get a door or materials or roofing, how do you manage that expectation with a client? This is a great question because it's something we deal with daily. Um, one thing at Zilber we, we strive to uh, accomplish 
is to get ahead of these issues. So knowing that uh, rooftop equipment or switch gear or dock levelers has a 30-week, a 40-week, a 52-week lead time, we're, one, um, informing the client that we're working with at that time of these lead times and looking at other avenues on how to basically get this stuff to the job site uh, quicker. Um, but it is a challenge. It is 100% a daily challenge for us is to understand that and then ultimately look at different avenues in order to reduce costs, um, which will fall back onto lower rent for, for the end user. How quickly are those, those structures going and how do you kind of build a, a structure or building an industrial product where you don't know what the business owner needs or is it pretty across the board? Do they take what they're going to get? How does that work? No, we... Um, you know, we've been doing this, gosh, about 20 years now, and you learn. You learn from your tenants. Um, hey, I wish you would have done this. I wish you would have uh, installed that over the years. And, and you uh, modify the building to fit them best. Again, I, I'm unaware when we start the construction process who will be my ultimate end user. Um, but we try to create the envelope or the building box as universal as possible, um, where if it's a manufacturer that comes in or just a distributor of uh, product, that building is going to be very close to their exact needs uh, with some slight modifications uh, for their specific use. So what is the most surprising thing that clients are asking for when they're looking for an industrial building? I mean, were you prepared for, uh, you know, the number of dock doors or the ceiling heights or temperature control? What is kind of the trend and what are people asking for now as opposed to, let's say, 10, 15 years ago? Well, the funny thing is industrial is pretty plain Jane. I'm just building a box with some doors and some windows. And uh, the inside, again, is, is, is completely different depending on the user. Uh, we've done everything from food manufacturing facilities to, I'd say, raw distribution where they're just stacking stuff on the floor and they're moving it out as quickly as humanly possible. There's no real specific, hey, we want X docks um, or we need X amount of uh, bathrooms. Every, everyone's going to be completely different, um, but we're not... Uh, the fun and exciting world of real estate, like a hotel or apartment. Uh, We keep it pretty down the fairway and and keep it simple. Well, you talk to an office broker, a retail broker, which is obviously very tumultuous at this time. And uh, I think they'd they'd love to trade places with you. (laughs) It's funny you say that. I used to go to all these uh, network events for industry and no one wanted to talk to the industrial guys. We're the boring guys in the corner and all the retail and hotel and multifamily and office, everyone surrounded them. And they were they were like celebrities at these things. And uh, the script is flipped. Now I have everyone wanting to hang out with us and learn about our, our big boxes. All right. Slow and steady. Hopefully we'll, we'll win the race. Um, so why are you optimistic about industrial real estate and business right here in southeast Wisconsin? Uh, couple things. One, I, I'm very optimistic on our business climate here because I think uh, historically we've been uh, fiscally uh, conservative from a business climate, which has allowed us not to take on some of the, the dips that other areas of the country have seen in a, in a recession or a depression, what have you. Um, so I, I believe our business climate is very strong, especially on the industrial side. Um, from just pure industrial real estate, um, the demand is still outpacing supply. Um, you don't have nearly the number of, uh, I call it, national developers that have entered this market. You only have a few, so you're limited on the number of buildings that are going to go up in a given year. Um, 
and I don't see that changing anytime soon. So those two will probably keep the vacancy rate uh, sub 3% uh, in this region for at least the foreseeable future. Um, and I'd say keep us all fairly competitive um, and giving tenants uh, quality buildings and locations that they need to be in. So one final question, Mike. You're the president of the largest commercial real estate association in in the state. Um, what would you say to people who are interested in commercial real estate as a career or an opportunity? It's an amazing career, and you really can control your destiny, which is uh, which I find fun, and every day is different. Uh, so like I'd explained, uh, you can uh, wake up one day and work with uh, one tenant, and the next day you're figuring out how to make a dog treat manufacturing facility, which is exciting. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Mike Kleber, Director of Leasing for Zilber Property Group. And thank you, everyone, for being with us today. I'm Tracy Johnson on the Commercial Real Estate Show. For more information and market insights, visit carw.com. 34 degrees at 929 on WTMJ. 936 on WTMJ. I'm Libby Collins. Still ahead, a story about Frankie Valley that Dave Spano is going to share with us. March is Women's History Month, and there's a special effort underway to recognize an American hero from western Wisconsin. WTMJ's John McCure has a story of Ellen Ainsworth. <laughs> Young Ellen Ainsworth didn't have it easy. Born in 1919, she grew up during the Great Depression in small Glenwood City, Wisconsin, in the rolling hills 40 miles east of the Minnesota border. Despite food sometimes being scarce and opportunities even scarcer, one of Ellen's childhood friends says she had a special light. She was quick with a one-liner, the first to lead an impromptu sing-along, and was always fast to flash a smile. David Sandmeyer is a distant cousin of Ellen. So she was like almost like a, a bigger-than-life figure, living life to its fullest, and never afraid in, in the darkest of scenarios. After high school, Ellen graduated nursing school and became a nurse in Minneapolis. On March 2nd, 1942, Ellen's life changed forever when an Army recruiter visited the hospital where she worked. A few days later, on her 23rd birthday, Ellen told her family it was her destiny to help our men and women on the battlefield overseas, and she enlisted. After training in Arkansas, Texas, and New York, Ellen shipped out for Italy, where she was assigned to the 56th Evacuation Hospital on the front lines in Anzio. The entire several months that the U.S. Army was there was basically hell, hell on earth. Ellen and her fellow nurses arrived in late January 1942. And immediately they faced intense artillery and mortar attacks. February 10th, 1944. The worst shelling yet occurred. And it mainly hit a field hospital very near to the 56th evac hospital. And it killed a number of people at that field hospital. The injured were brought to Ellen's field hospital, which was nothing more than a canvas tent with big red crosses painted on the roof and sides. Several large bombs landed nearby and shrapnel began to rain down on the tent where Ellen was working. Patients who are there who are well enough to be moved, they're removing those patients from the tent hospital into bunkers. But somebody has to stay behind and take care of the really ill patients who can't be moved. Under heavy bombing, as others fled, Ellen stayed. She calmly helped move those patients at least to the ground 
because shrapnel was coming almost at ground level horizontally. You know, these bombs would explode and they'd send metallic shrapnel sideways, you know, like a few feet above the ground. So Ellen is in there on her shift, moving patients to the ground. In the chaos, Ellen stayed calm. 42 patients were moved calmly and collectively by under her guidance, which prevented panic. A bomb shelter had been built for the nurses, but Ellen decided to stay in her tent because she wanted to be closer to the men she cared for. February 12, 1944. After another long shift under constant bombardment, Ellen collapsed from exhaustion in her tent. Within minutes, a bomb hit, sent shrapnel sideways, and it it struck her in her tent. She took about a quarter diameter piece of shrapnel into her chest that apparently went down into her abdomen and caused pretty severe organ damage. She was rushed to the medical tent where she fought and struggled and eventually faded. Ellen gets worse and worse. Eventually she died on four days later on February 16th. Her death left that community grief-stricken for years. Sally Burkholder's father went to high school with Ellen in Glenwood City. Her death left such an impression on that community that even now today, you could go to Glenwood City, a population of about 1,200 people, and died, what, 80-some years ago, and just say Ellen, and they would know who you were talking about. Now the people of western Wisconsin are talking about how Ellen should receive the nation's highest military award for valor in action, the Medal of Honor. Was Ellen Ainsworth a hero? Absolutely. In the case of Ellen, she had to die to prove herself. But, I mean, it, it again, it opened up generations of opportunities for women to serve in the military, for women to go on and pursue advanced degrees. And it's not just in Glenwood City that they're pushing for Ellen to receive the Medal of Honor. I would argue this is long overdue. Dan Buttry is the president and CEO of the War Memorial in Milwaukee. The key is to protect and save and do something way above and beyond your requirement to save your fellow soldier. And there's no question what Ellen did at that time was to protect and save and stand there and go way beyond what was required of her. No woman has the Medal of Honor. Not one. Ellen would be the first. The Medal of Honor requires you to have gone beyond the call of duty in a position of extreme danger to aid others. And it's basically what she did. You know, had she decided to use that air raid shelter when she got off her shift, she'd gone to that shelter, she probably would have survived. World War II veteran Senator Daniel Inouye once said, the nurses in World War II gave us hope. It's time for Ellen's country to give her the recognition she bravely and selflessly earned. The girl next door who left home for war and never came back. John Mercure, WTMJ News. Wisconsin Senators and Representative Tom Tiffany are working to get Ellen Ainsworth awarded the Medal of Honor. The process could take years. If approved by Congress, the medal would be presented to Ainsworth family by the President of the United States. It's 942. We have 34 degrees coming up in just a minute. We've got Vince Vitrano. He's telling you how they're getting the field ready at AmFam Field. It's all ahead on Wisconsin Weekend Morning News. Tom DeCronio will have sports in just a couple minutes, but first, the Brewers wrap up spring training games early next week and open the season on the road Thursday in Chicago. Won't be long before the crew's back home at American Family Field, and WTMJ's Vince Vitrano tells how the Brewers' senior director of grounds will have the grass green 
and ready for opening day. Baby, let me mow your grass. I only want to mow your grass. I'll mow it with style, cut it with class. Honey, can I mow your grass? Yeah, we're taking off the blankets, throw blankets, put them on right before Christmas time. The process we go through every year helps the grass from not going dormant, allows us to be ready for opening day. Yes, the blankets are off inside the ballpark. They serve an important purpose through those cold winter months. Yeah, so the grow blankets help us keep the soil temps up throughout the wintertime when we close the roof and stuff. It allows the grass not to go fully dormant. That's what happens to our grass, but saving that step speeds up the green. If it would go fully dormant, we wouldn't be ready for opening day. It just keeps the grass green basically throughout the wintertime. And now for the fun part. And then we'll start top dressing it, mowing it, and start getting the pattern in for opening day. Get off my lawn. Baby, let me mow your grass. I only want to mow your grass. I'll mow it with style, cut it with class. Honey, can I mow your grass? Vince Vitrano, WTMJ News. A Brewers home opener is Monday, April 3rd, with a 110 first pitch against the New York Mets. It's 946. You're a minute away from Dominic Catronio on Sports right here on Wisconsin Weekend Morning News. Two darlings of the tournament matchup for what has been one of the best games of March Madness. Third-seeded Kansas State. Ninth-seeded Florida Atlantic. A trip to the Final Four on the line. It did not disappoint. Kansas State doesn't have any timeouts. The inbound from Sills. Here comes Noel up the near side, left front court. Three seconds now, two. Noel throws in Masood. High right. It's stepped away by Davis. He stole it. Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is going to the Final Four. One of the most improbable stories in college basketball history has just played out in New York City. The final call from Ken Levicka on ESPN 106.3 West Palm. The Owls defeat the Wildcats 79-76. to They were the first nine seed to make it to the Final Four since 2013. That was Wichita State. Now, the other game on Saturday was not nearly as entertaining. Fourth-seeded UConn dominated Gonzaga 82-54. to The Husky defense held the Zags to just 2 of 20 from beyond the arc, as UConn heads to the Final Four for the first time in nine years. Here's what you got on your docket today. Number six, Creighton, and number five, San Diego State. That game will tip off at 120. And number five, Miami, and number two, Texas. That game tips at 4.05. Both games on CBS. Battle of the one seeds in Denver last night. The Bucks and Giannis, the Nuggets and Jokic, but it was Jokic getting the final laugh. A 129-106 win over Milwaukee. Head coach Mike Budenholzer. I'm not, you know, we, we got beat tonight. You know, they were better than us, and we would love some other things to go differently, but it's not about that. Credit to Denver. We got to take it, and, you know, we'll be ready next time we play. And spring training is winding down. This is it. Camp breaks on Tuesday. Today, the Brewers are hosting the Arizona Diamondbacks at 3 o'clock right here on WTMJ. 
I'm Dominic Catronio, WTMJ Sports. Thanks a lot, Dom. Well, we've got some sunshine this morning, but those clouds are going to be coming in. We've got a chance for a wintry mix later on today. High of 39 tonight, partly cloudy, down to 30. Tomorrow looks partly sunny, 37 for a high. Tuesday, more clouds, 42. Wednesday, we've got that chance for some light snow showers and a high of 38. And then warming up on Thursday, we're going to be up to 47 degrees with a chance of rain. Right now, Elkhart Lake has 30 degrees. Lake Geneva's at 29. Muskego has 30, and we have 34 degrees at WTM. J at 950. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. Oh, I know that music, and so do you, because when you think of Money Talk, you think of Dave Spano. But Dave's involved in so much more than Annex Wealth Management. On this week's WTMJ Conversations, he tells me about some of his experiences with booking entertainment events around Milwaukee. We had Frankie Valley at the amphitheater, right? I mean, I absolutely loved it, and this is a great story. So we had, I don't know, 10,000 people at the amphitheater, and Frankie Valley was performing. My mother, now 94 years old, said, take your mother to go meet him. I said, Mom, please, I got 10,000 people here. I'm trying to put on a show. And she grabbed me around the arm. She goes, I'm serious. Take me back there. So I walked to the back, and I knock on the door, and Frankie, and I had promoted the show, so I knew him, and I said, Frankie, great show. He said, thanks, Davey. I go, will you do me a favor? He said, sure. He says, will you come? and meet my mother and he jumps up and he walks out and my mother is five two on a good day right and so frankie valley comes out right without his high heels on and they're the same height (laughs) and so they're having this conversation it was classic i thought i was kareem talking next to these two love it aside from frankie valley who are some of the other celebrities that you've had an opportunity to meet when you've been involved with things like Summerfest and Festa. You know, there's so many uh, great people that we've met, not only uh, celebrities, but, you know, there's people who have made a difference that have people that you, you don't know, but people who move the needle with cancer research. You know, we were involved with sponsoring the Vince Lombardi Cancer Foundation, and that's always been an amazing experience. Mason Crosby, as the chairman, had a chance to play golf with him a lot, and we've been out. We went to Pottawatomie gambling one night, and we did some things, and so Mason, I'm a huge fan of Mason, of course, all-time leading scorer of the Packers. And then we also have the Pro-Am for the AmpFam, which is Steve Stricker's event. And uh, you had a chance to play golf with Mr. Stricker, you know, one of the greatest golfers of all time. How'd you do in that game? Oh, my <laughs> God. We also fished together. This is a good story. Probably, if he hears this, he's going to hate me. But we also had a chance to go fishing prior to that. And then we went golfing. And after we were done golfing, I didn't do that particularly well. And he sent me a picture and he signed it. And it said, to Dave from Steve Stricker. And underneath he goes, we should probably just fish from now on. (laughs) Join me today on WTFJ Conversations. Well, Money Talks, Dave Spano shares stories ranging from celebrity encounters to an experience involving a missing dog. It's all today at 11, right after the Acunet Mortgage and Real Estate Show. But first, we do have Brian and David Wickard here. And Brian, uh, off the air, (laughs) we had a conversation. And the Fed increased those rates by another quarter percent on Wednesday. But apparently, you tell me that mortgage rates went down. How in the world is that working? Ah, yes. The Fed raises rates and mortgage rates go down. And and that's simply because the rate that the Federal Reserve diddles with is an overnight rate that banks charge each other. And, uh, And mortgages are really long term. And what the mortgage market interpreted the uh, rate raising as is maybe that's the last one. 
maybe that's the last one they're going to do. And, uh, and, and Chairman Powell kind of said the same thing. Remember, the reason that rates are higher right now isn't because of the Fed. It's because of inflation. And so, uh, you know, the feeling is that maybe maybe the Fed has raised rates enough now to to combat inflation. And we're going to see mortgage rates hopefully go down for the rest of the year. Uh, we're going to tell you where rates ended up the week because it's a friendly number. Uh, but the rate that did go up uh, is the prime rate. So now it can't, this is hard to say. The prime rate is now at 8%. 8%. Wow. I mean, it hasn't been that high, I think, since 2007. I'll, I'll look that up before we uh, get back on the show. So if you've got a home equity line of credit, if you've got a uh, credit card balance, those are tied to the prime rate. And so you are going to see your, your rates go up on, on those types of loans, but not on the good old 30-year fixed rate. We're headed in the right direction. Brian, um, I'm, I'm- I'm yeah. just I, I'm just curious related to that. Are people having a, a few more struggles qualifying for mortgages right now than they did say no. a year ago? No. Well, well, you know, on the margin, yes, sure, sure, because rates are twice as high as they were a year ago. So of course that's going to push some people's purchase price, purchase their, their buying power down. That's that's inevitable. But if you look at the big picture, there is no shortage of buyers. You know, in the in the big picture of supply and demand. And in fact, I've got some updated uh, statistics on that for southeastern Wisconsin. In fact, there was a, a Newsweek article talking about who is the banking contagion going to crash the housing market. I love those headlines. We're going to unwrap that for you because uh, the short answer is no. We'll get to that <laughs> right after the news. And we'll be listening to Brian and David Wickard on the Accident Mortgage and Realty Show. I'm Libby Collins. I'll be back at 11 with our conversation with Dave Spano. It's all ahead right here on WTMJ.